Yeah, I don't know, man. You ever just feel like life is just catapulting towards like, some greater purpose? The only DJ crazy enough to tattoo Jackie Brown on his ass. <laughs> this is Michael Mann, and I ride with extended clip. I don't really think we have any business to get into. I think we can just do the podcast. There's no more. There's no more business. I have anymore. some things for you to sign real quick. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. We actually do have to get Josh's loan uh, papers signed. You true. know, we're loaning them out from Sleezoids. That is true. Mm-hmm. It is. This is a pure pleasure podcast from now on. There's not really much business involved. It's it's a pure pleasure thing. But uh, it is whenever we have guests on. It is like a big cost. We got to fly them out. We got to get them a hotel room. You know what I mean? So it is. You know, when your pleasures be, become expensive, it's kind of... A, well, need to, they, they need to fill out the waiver before they hop on the Sibian, so... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people, you know, it's... You, people say they're okay with them, and when they're done, they're, you know, they're coming to you with all these problems. It's like, yeah, you should have read the fine print. Well, Eddie brought that <laughs> out. I didn't even know it was part of the show. I was like, all right. <laughs> Look, we reviewed private parts very early on in the podcast. Obviously, we're very indebted to Howard Stern and the many <laughs> devices that he employs. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to Extended Clip. I'm one of your hosts, Eddie Averill. I'm Malcolm Baum. I'm JT White. And joining us on the couch, uh, I, I did make this parallel. This really is uh, Malcolm's in the Ed McMahon spot. Josh is my guest, and I'm Johnny tonight. Uh, we have all the way from Toronto, the the host of the Sleezoids podcast, Mr. Josh Lewis. Howdy. How's it going, everyone? I'm, I'm in beautiful Los Angeles. Everyone around me is wearing sweaters. And to me, this is summer vacation. Like, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's really cold in Los Angeles right now. Uh, it's about 50 degrees Fahrenheit, which Josh refers to as t-shirt weather. Uh, Correct. Because people who live in cold temperature cities are sickos i can just say that much <laughs> yeah i thought that the blizzard was gonna stop my flight getting out of here but they were yeah. like nope you're going to los angeles buddy nice it's, this really is like a late night talk show now we're talking la <laughs> <Yeah>. weather all that <laughs> stuff now you, had a, now you were telling me you had a really interesting flight out here yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> i did have a guy on my flight who definitely met the woman beside him while they were on the flight and he was like i'm in the movie business by the way Ooh, <laughs> that's very cool just letting her know you know and then he was telling her about by the end of the flight he was talking about civ 5 so i don't i'm not sure how that went we'll see that's that's oh, fu- that's romantic comedy stuff right there <laughs> it's the seventh double feature of the extended clip reunion tour we're we're nearing the the end of leg two of the tour. We're really worn out. We've been traveling <laughs> back and forth through time so fast and so far, uh, all the way in timeline A now to 1934, where we will be discussing Our Daily Bread by King Vidor. And in timeline B, we are finally uh, not doing an American film. Well, I guess we've done some non-American films, but we are going to China in 2006 you know people said that the extended clip tour bus couldn't make it to china but we made it there and we're going to talk about still life uh jajanka's 2006 film so we're gonna start with our daily bread uh this is king v door's 1934 independent movie he couldn't get financing from the the big wigs at mgm for this i took the story i wasn't under contract to mgm but i took it to thalberg and i told it to him and he liked the idea but they were afraid of it. They were afraid it was too much down to earth for a big studio. 
that was attuned to other types of things. Well, the only thing to do was to make it myself. And uh, I mortgaged my home and borrowed money to produce the picture. The socialist movie. Yeah, I wonder why, you know. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's his sequel to his silent film, The Crowd. Uh, the Crowd, if you don't know, is a uh, masterpiece, and you should watch it. But Our Daily Bread, set during the Depression, sees our main couple uh, being inspired by a, uh, you know, just a piece in the newspaper and some gossip about this uh, back-to-the-land movement during the Depression. It's like, if the businesses aren't doing well, let's fend for ourselves. And it just so happens that there is farmland through the main dude's wife's uncle uh that they can like take over and start farming on so they develop a community there and uh people you know are out of work and looking for stuff to do and places to live on the cheap and they build this whole cooperative living situation together and it's really beautiful and uh i don't know it's like the closest thing that hollywood ever produced to a soviet montage film uh, particularly yeah. in the last 10 minutes, but I would say just like the goals of the movie uh, narratively and ideologically, which is, of course, very contradictory to what King Vidor would go on to do, such as the Fountainhead and other very uh, right-wing projects. Oh, dude was staunchly and, uh, anti-communist yeah. by the 1940s. So, yeah, no, he flipped the switch like nothing. Like, uh, it was, was it, crazy. Was it like, uh, I don't know about this, was this like a... Did he just decide he was anti all this stuff or, or is everyone reading the movie wrong? Was he like at a certain point you grow up? <laughs> exactly. If you're yeah. not a if you're not a socialist in your twenties and a fascist in your thirties, that's know? that's what I was getting at. Yeah, was, was it that type of situation? Or? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, you could say money changed him. You know? <laughs> no, nah, man, this man was born into money. Come True. on, you you gotta know this. Yeah, you're okay. the Fedor guy. I guess his all name right. is King. So well, it makes I sense. I have not seen all that many King Fedor mm-hmm. films. I've seen a few, including The Crowd, of course, which uh, sees this man, you know. Uh, getting by in New York City, uh, it, you know, the crowd being the masses of people that are beside him and how you fit into this giant Living city. in these modern times. Yeah, exactly. Living in a post-industrial big city society. The assembly and, line of suffering. Exactly. And seeing your daughter get hit by a truck, which is... <laughs> hey, that scene's not funny. I'm sorry. The way you said it was. <laughs> that scene is funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's a funny in the same way you find the ending of Dishonored funny, which Look, actually okay. upsets me a the, little bit. The ragdoll <laughs> physics of Marlene Dietrich getting shot in that movie, it takes me out of it just like 1% makes me chuckle. A Every little. time he brings this up, I think about people who are like sallow. It's a riot. Uh, is, Eddie, is Eddie the laugher? Is he the cinephile laugher in the theaters that we all... that we all talk about that we hate, but of course none of us do. Of mm-hmm. course, right? So... <laughs> But yeah, uh, knowing that is like so their backstory. That immediately. No, but it is a lot of added weight to the backstory of this main couple. Uh, even though they're played by different actors, uh, they still have the same names. You know, it's uh, Mr. John Sims, our prototypical American male name. Yeah. Um, and this movie is like less expressionist than The Crowd, but it's just, I don't know, so, as I already said, uh, with the Soviet film comparison, just so indebted to montage 
cooperative living as both a milieu and a narrative into itself. Well, and it still has some of that like bitter social realism too, mm-hmm. which was the kind of thing that was why he was having trouble getting funding because in for hugely in the silent era, if you were doing an expressionist thing, they were kind of studios were kind of down with that for a while. They were like, this is sick. But every single time he would, turn it in and he'd be like well this is the bleakest thing that i've ever seen in my life yeah like the crowd so after that movies for him were actually were harder to to get made and also as a result i i don't want to be too cynical about it but losing money from the studios is maybe the first time he didn't have money in his life yeah and i imagine that might be why all of a sudden he was like you know the new deal's pretty cool Exactly. I like Roosevelt. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Some of these nouveau pores. Nationalize this goddamn film industry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I don't th- I don't think you're wrong to say that at all. I don't think you're wrong. Uh, JT, had you seen this film before? No, no. This whole uh this double feature in general is like through like it just popping uh like some big firsts for me. Um, cause I had never seen anything by either of these directors Ooh. and it's like, I'm saying no offense, but this is obviously going to sound like a slight, but we're, <laughs> we're, we have these two like socialist, like kind of artier films. Like we, we brought on Josh Lewis, the sleazoids mm. guy. He's <laughs> a film bro fascist. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> Look, at, um, I've been reformed by some of Mr. Trudeau's communist panda. <laughs> yeah, it's you've done sort Castro of the blood. reverse King Vidor here. Yeah, I woke up this morning and Josh was watching Cobra and he was like, I hate this. I, <laughs> this is disgusting. This is so militaristic. <laughs> well, we could have imparted some lessons on the, the bad boy podcasters of Los Angeles. True, yeah. I, I I feel like we've been pretty capitalist lately. It is it is time to go a little bit socialist. Well, we got rid of the Patreon. That's pretty socialist. True. <laughs> Even though having a Patreon podcast is actually socialism in 2020. That is true. But, that is so socialist. maybe we need to get this, the Patreon back. <laughs> it's very confusing. It's hard it's, to, it's a very confusing economic situation. As, as just a simple young man, it's hard to tell what is right and wrong in these times, you know? <laughs> it's a really great building of a foundation type narrative you know there's Mm -hmm. like half of this movie is a getting the gang together kind of thing uh and and i've expressed many times the getting the gang together montage being one of the great tropes of cinema this movie is really people fighting for their lives in the great depression but it also has a little bit of that genre feel because king vidor is just a fantastic director so just the mechanisms of getting all these people in here learning what their trades are uh and their skills and them trading skills with each other uh you know you have the guy who really can't do much but he plays violin so at least he's trading violin lessons i know how to use my hands sir (laughs) Yeah. yeah no it is it is like it is like the classic online trope of like you know, what would you do in the com- the communist commune, you know, when you're, you know, what would your job be? What's your trade? Barber? Can't use you. How about you? I'm a cigar salesman. What can you do? High-class pants pressing. This is a farm, not a hotel. Plumber. Well, that's something. Carpenter. No kidding. I'm a voice violinist. Listen, I can do anything else. No, no, I'll be back to you guys. Keep your places. It won't do you any good to rush me. 
But I think, you know, one thing I love about this, this movie, it's like very momentum based. Like, yeah. you know, from the very start, it starts on a, a rent collector walking up the stairs to get the rent. And, you know, the clock's ticking from there because, you know, that, I mean, that's a classic film trope, but it's mm-hmm. very simple. People need money. And then there's just such a sense of urgency in, you know, how they get to the farm and accumulate all these people, you know, and I guess it is, you know, because of the Great Depression. But I, it is like uh, it's a surprisingly optimistic look at, you know, maybe the possibilities of what you could do or something like that. You know, of course, it's. You know, it's an idyllic version of everything, but like I, I really think like uh, the momentum throughout the movie and the urgency, you know, being the need of money really just is kind of like the backbone of this movie and kind mm-hmm. of I didn't get you swept up in it. Yeah, get you swept up in it. And like I didn't really ex- I don't know. I didn't really expect it to be like that type of movie like it really like it really does feel like a like a ticking clock type movie Mm -hmm. no absolutely especially with the third act as they're you know uh trying to get the irrigation to get you know water down to the crops yeah no i i I agree i think like especially the opening stuff because like that sets you up for it's very much as eddie was saying like it's a direct sequel to the crowd so it's like literally just saying here are the sort of uh you know they're running from the debt collectors and there's great details of them like trading in their last ukulele for the shittiest chicken you've ever seen in your life (laughs) and all of a sudden his uncle-in-law comes up and they were just like there's a headline in the paper because this movie is inspired by the headlines of today of course and uh it's like my favorite show law and order svu that's right and they say (laughs) go back to the land and that was also something i was thinking about when i was pairing the two films together because it's not just the community and the labor stuff it is also the vision of the actual land itself that both of these filmmakers shoot and the idea of technological progress whereas in in this film i think it's a little bit more optimistic about the idea of us of a bunch of guys getting together and using some tools i would say uh Jajanka's a little bit more. <laughs> well, he's more pe- pessimistic because it's not a bunch of guys using a bunch of tools. Not a, there's a little a, bit more money introduced in yeah, that scenario. Yeah, it's a conglomerate of government and, co- and corporations. You know? Of course, yeah. of course. But it, but in this, you have this element too of I, I when I was reading Pauline Kale's review, like I like to do, I follow that bot on Letterboxd. Of course, That's just all we love old. the bots. The bot, oh, it, the, the bot bots. is great. I love seeing what she wrote. Not and, Pauline Kale. Not Armand White. Not Dave Care. All some of my best friends on letterboxd <laughs> yeah well and, and she she d- didn't like the film it seemed very much because she thought it was very dramatically primitive was the word that she used uh and she's not wrong but at the same time i had a blast watching this yeah. dude from plan nine from outer space just go like <laughs> gee whiz we're, this is like camping yeah. you know <laughs> yeah yeah he is like hyper expressive in a very b-movie way definitely yeah I mean, I feel like there's like there's some contrasts that emerge with this that I find really interesting. Like Malcolm was saying, there's like a sense of urgency in the film, which I mean, there definitely is because like obviously like at the beginning, like rents due and then like later the drought is coming. Mm-hmm. But like he really luxuriates in the scenes and then the whole getting the gang together. I feel like those two things like juxtapose like, you know, you have to get there but it's like taking its time too. And the same thing goes with like, there's like the gritty social realism of like, oh, it's the depression and they have to sell all of their possessions for food. But then there's like this sort of like, gee whiz Hollywood optimism that like is combined with that there. And it's just like, I don't know. It creates such a delightful 
like flavor for a film because it's like yes there are problems in the world but it still has like the sort of hollywood eyes and hollywood mindset where you're going to be like but don't worry baby everything's going to be okay <laughs> well think about how excited that man is when he finds that uh that hick swede drifter who comes to his property <laughs> and shows him the magic of tools. It wasn't until he calls him a Swede yeah, okay. that I know. Let's get because, into this. Uh, I, I, just wrote, I just wrote vaguely ethnic guy in yeah, my yeah, notes. Yeah, yeah. And then I crossed that out and wrote Swede yeah. when it's revealed that he's Swedish. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I didn't write down Swede. Let's just, let's just say that. <laughs> I, I didn't think that guy was Swedish. I don't know. I don't know much about Swedish farmers or anything like that. But what did you think he was? A fable man? A fable man? No, that's that's also oh, very God. low on my list of who I thought, it, what race I thought it was. But um, uh, I I think that's that's a good point. Like I, I've watched. I like a lot of movies from this era, especially that like kind of tackle. I don't know depression, pessimism, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I feel like they're usually about like. You know, people who are the problem, people who are like the like a, like a movie I like from this era is called Hard to Handle, Mervyn Leroy, James Cagney. And it just follows James Cagney around, you know, as he does this, you know, various uh, schemes and scams trying mm-hmm. to get rich during the Depression. You know what I mean? And like, I feel like a lot of movies around this era are like very negative and while, you know, JT's right, you know, they're doing negative things like selling, you know, all their possessions. It it, it does have like a very jovial can do, get it done attitude. It's kind of like, you know, when old people watch the news and they're like, why don't why don't the news report anything, you know, good for once? But it's like <laughs> it, I mean, you know, it, but it is you know, it is there is like a nice solutions based kind yeah. of like feel to this, Ooh, right? Ooh, nice wording it's, on it too. Yeah, yeah. Cause mm. cause like people people like uh you know, like the end of the movie is them getting the job done, right? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it's it's mm-hmm. there's a simplicity to that that makes it, I don't know, just a very enjoyable package. Well, even just early on, like the sick vistas of them marching with their shovels yeah. on the profile on the hill or like, you know, staring out at the land that they've just tilled. Like there's these really beautiful, like slow camera moves that they do where they, you know, are are kind of showing that they have some control over this place, that they have some power now. And yeah, it, it makes them, you know, it, it gives them a sense of confidence. And, you know, there's a there's a warmth that builds between these characters, even in the individual personality. Like when he's going line by line, he's like, you're the carpenter, you're the stonemason, you're the machinist. And he's so excited. He's like, these guys are so useful. Yeah. They do trades. <laughs> oh, my God. And then, you know, even when he gets to the violinist, he gets to the other guys and they're they're begging to be part of it. And there's like, what if we just had this collective of people who could do the job Mm -hmm. and of all different types of backgrounds. I do love the one guy doing the John Wayne thing that he's doing. Yeah. The proto Duke guy. I'll I'll drive the tractor. (laughs) He's like, and he refers to himself as like a law and order guy too. Yeah. It's very funny. (laughs) I've been watching you mug. And I want you to get this. There ain't no place in this camp for your kind of guy. You either play ball or you beat it. We're going to have law and order here. We're going to have it if I have to clean up on half the outfit. 
but they're building their own houses and shops and trading services with yeah. one another. And I do love that the way that he attracts people to the farm at a certain point is by just putting giant signs on the on the mm. like the actual road to his property. And it's like, are you tired of rent? Yeah. <laughs> I probably saw that sign now. I'd be a little bit more skeptical of it. But this guy yeah. had good intentions, believe it or not. It's like they didn't have those signs back then. Those weren't scams. Yeah. <laughs> only signs. Only signs I see now uh, on farms are fire Gavin Newsom. Yeah. <laughs> fire Nancy Pelosi. Malcolm makes that drive through Central California more than I do, but I, I that is very accurate reportage from my memory. Yeah. Or like them signs about how the drought is a hoax. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. What no, no, no. See here, here they had the power of God. They look over the yeah. land and they say the Lord's prayer, and which is like, one of my favorite scenes. They're like, mm-hmm. you know, look at look at this land. Look at this labor. Look yeah. at this productivity and prosperity. Well, it's when the first crop sprouts that yes. you just see uh, the wife, uh, old lady Sims, uh, looking at the uh, first crop sprout just before her eyes. It just pops up on a cut, you know, and then before, uh, you know, the whole crowd is there, her husband is there, and then the old man leads them all in prayer with his hands up in one of my favorite shots in the movie where everyone is praying, his hands are up, and you just have this shot over their shoulders seeing this huge vista of all of the soil that will soon be crops and it's just incredible in the sense of community and even if these characters individually are kind of painted in broad strokes there's still enough individuality versus community in this movie to where it is dynamic enough in like the moment to moment you know interactions between characters uh you have the duke proto duke guy of course you have the swede uh you have the uh, violinist the stonemason uh then you have the city girl who comes in a little late city whore yeah Yeah. comes in to ruin it all now this This is is maybe the broadest stroke in the film actually (laughs) does this sound familiar to you It's interesting because this is a post-code movie. It's 1934, yeah. and it's among the first wave of movies that had to pass the production code. Mm-hmm. And uh, I feel like if it was pre-code, she would feel like less of a broad stroke, and also it would be way more raunchy. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. As it stands now, it's like kind She'd of a She'd be a Barbara Stanwyck. She'd be yeah, a it, baby it, face. Exactly. Yeah. Stanwyck and baby <laughs> yeah. face, or uh, who's the lady in Sin of Nora Torrin? Yeah, but like it's, it's still a fun performance it's just very like the most one note of all the performances yeah. but she comes in with her big city attitude and her jazz records and her uh, <laughs> crazy accent talking like harley quinn uh <laughs> she is very much doing like the gangster's dame thing the way yeah. she's dressed everything about it no i like i like that because you're talking about you know individuals versus community and like that's kind of like the second half conflict is you know the leader mr sims you know him kind of being like damn maybe i'm like better than this place man like maybe yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe i could you know i could move the city with this girl we could we could really make it big really do it. and it's just like it's very funny because it's not even like even really explained what he even means by that you know what i mean he just is yeah. so down on his uh like project that he's on yeah. right now he's like there's no water we're fucked like i yeah. completely led these people into the dark yeah i'm gonna follow this and they girl made back me into boss yeah, they made me boss. They literally said, no democracy, make this man the boss. Yeah, people <laughs> were fed up with democracy. It brought the Great Depression. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> and they definitely don't want socialism. So they were just like, yeah, mm-hmm. let's get let's just be 
for this guy and he yeah. fucked it all up so he is running away with this girl after not quite a breakup scene with his wife but like a really sad scene with her yeah. uh and then just is kind of running off with her in the car and then he hears that something is operating a few miles out which means there must be water going a few miles out and they can yeah because a drought is one of the obstacles in their way and also the fact that they didn't own the property is also one of the yeah, obstacles so they... in their way because it was his uncle's in-law's property and then when they provide value to it as a collective of workers all of a sudden it's a valuable property yeah it can be sold and they do an auction there is a sick scene actually where the sheriff puts the property on sale and they literally as like a like a they almost become a mob and they hijack the auction and literally start threatening all the men of means in the crowd. And they are like, they're holding up a noose and like, you don't want to place that bid, buddy. Don't, don't even think about it. And then they go by, they were like, all right, property, the, the property is for sale. Who's got a bid? He's like $1 yeah. and 70 cents. <laughs> and it goes all the way up to the very competitive price of $1.85, I believe. Yes. <laughs> but, and so that is how they get out of that loophole. But the drought that is uh, holding them back from yielding from their crops, they finally do get some water and they realize that they have to make an irrigation system on the double. They got to do this quick or these plants are that are already drying out are just going to be completely dead and worthless so and you get one of the sickest endings to like any film ever basically yeah no it's just like yeah. when the last 10 minutes of the movie is them building an irrigation system and uh then the water flowing through said irrigation system and it's just the greatest it's, it's an action movie yeah it, and it's the closest <laughs> as i said earlier it's the closest that hollywood ever came to soviet montage there's no real like there's dialogue. Obviously, people are shouting at each other. Oh, go over there. Do that. You know, but there's no real dialogue, uh, narrative dialogue. That is, it's literally just montage of labor for 10 minutes. Yep. And it is one of the best endings you will ever see in a movie. Yeah, it's men digging on an extremely long lens that basically makes it look like the camera is in the hole that they are pickaxing. Yeah. And it's just all the focus on the, the, the big sweaty guys lifting up the rocks and, <laughs> you know, all of the pickaxes going into the soil in such choreographed unison that the rhythm basically becomes a metronomic score, mm -hmm. which then gets you even further swept up in what you're watching. And, and it's no coincidence they say sing like an army song together at the yes. start of this because it is very militaristic the yeah. way that they're marching in unison and you know half the guys with the pickaxes the next wave comes in with the shovels all yep. in very militaristic form and it's perfect it's just like they finally get to the finish line and you know all the women and uh children are like screaming waiting for them some of them take over and it's just like the most ecstatic moment as that water starts flowing through and once it finally gets to the end after much improvisation because obviously they didn't do it perfect so you see guys laying out their body and just like uh diverting the water back into the irrigation system oh it's my yeah really when they're literally incredible. laying down yeah, their the torsos yeah they're just straight up like i'm gonna use my body to make sure that this water follows this track yeah. correctly it's, and by the time it gets to the bottom that water's got to be so muddy but they don't yeah. care it's finally wet and everyone's playing in the mud and one of the dudes drives a motorcycle <laughs> through it. <laughs> that dude was living yeah. and then uh the main couple and the swede who is kind of the main farm hand i guess uh ride away on a pile of hay bales drawn by a horse and uh that's the end of the movie it is just one of the most hopeful and ecstatic endings in classic hollywood that i can recall because the classic hollywood endings like 
they're all like of the great movies, you know, they're all great. They that's the one thing about great classic Hollywood movies is to me like they know how to swell the music up before the end title card comes up. You know, it's kind of something you have to deliver on. But this is just such a different version of that. The only thing I can really compare it to is the end of Wagon Master. Yeah. Uh, and that's very, very, very high praise. Mm. Well, I, I feel like it's different if if the music just hits and you know it's the moment yeah. versus it has earned the moment exactly. with yeah. with the build up to it like having that image of all of them trying to build that bridge that the water is going to flow over and then having the camera tilt up to all the guys on the hill coming over the hill and you're watching it and you're you're genuinely getting excited like yeah. oh these two groups are going to meet each other in the next like few minutes to get that water over yeah like it's exciting it's the most i've ever rooted for water in a movie <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, uh avatar oh, the way shit. of water okay okay, okay. Second. this man second um <laughs> yeah. jt any final thoughts before you give it a bullet rating yeah, um, it's an amazing film. I uh, I don't know. I feel like for me, it like very much so falls in like the genre of movies where it's just like it's nice to watch people be good at like jobs and be good at doing things. And here, it's like everyone's like ha- everyone has a place. Everyone is good at something in service of a larger community, and it's nice to see like. The I don't know. It's such the film has such an earnest optimism about like coming together and like pitching in and just like making it all work. Um, and that coupled with like that earnestness, like along with just how beautifully shot it is, leading into that like final ten minutes, just make it a phenomenal ride that is so hopeful about like I don't know just. They, uh, I, I think when there's that, like, sort of first, uh, sprouting, he talks about, like, uh, Sims is like, well, if we, we just have the earth, like, everything's gonna be okay, like, we have nature here, like, uh, everything's gonna be fine, and you really do sort of believe that, um, by the end, and, uh, yeah, I'm gonna go four and a half bullets. No. Okay. Yeah, I really enjoyed this movie. This was also my first uh, King Vidor movie. I hadn't seen Ooh. The Crowd, The Crown, whatever it's called. The Crowd. Um, um, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, whatever that movie's uh, called. Uh, I haven't yeah. seen it. Um, but <laughs> uh, Our Daily Bread, uh, yeah, it was a very good movie. I The ending, you know, in particular, like it is, it is, it's building on the momentum that has been building throughout the movie, right? You know, I was talking about how you know it was momentum based at the beginning and then it kind of like goes into double time you know what i mean and then Mm -hmm. you know that's where vidor kind of gets all of his creativity you know in the visual style of the movie and like i love you know towards the end where you know all the the kids and the women come up and like you at like one of the women starts pickaxing too you know as a celebration you know kind of just which shows how like even the characters in the movie are aware of like this this workman's like rhythm that's going on that's so powerful. The men uh, tapping each other out so the other one can go and get a coffee real quick. Yeah, Sick. yeah, great. <laughs> one of them's just on the ground. I'm gonna at do one that. Point. I'm gonna do that during this episode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like I, I do like there's kind of like an almost like a instructional quality to the movie or like kind of like a it goes through like you know the stuff like you know. 
it's an urgent movie, but it goes through all like the the struggles you know that you might have going through something like this. You know, kind of like uh, when he's finding the people, and it's like we got the violinist. It's like, what do we do with the violinist? You know what I mean? It's like, well, they'll they'll fill in when you know where they can. You know what I mean? And that's the city broad coming in. You know, of course, it's generalization, but it is. It seems like a lot of these DSA meetings. There's a lot of sex scandals or something like that. You know what I mean? I well, I, you know, anytime you're building up something like this, there's going to be some sort of there could be an issue like that, and it, you know, it addresses that. You know, funny enough, you know, just the water comes in time. You know, that, that saves everything. <laughs> but uh, sometimes, you know, that's that is what saves everything. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna watch some more Vitor movies because this was great. What about uh, who wants to give a rating first? I'll let you guys choose amongst yourself. Oh, ladies oh. first. Oh, oh, brother. Uh, I'm joking. Uh, Josh, go ahead. Our guest. Oh, I get to go. All right. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I brought this on, so obviously, I like this movie. Uh, I and I weirdly enough, I watched it because it was just added to Mubi like two years ago for a little while. I was like, I don't know, whatever. I'll look at this daily bread, something about bread. All right. Well, and, <laughs> and I watched it and I was, I was pretty blown away, especially that I hadn't uh, at the time I hadn't seen the other Vidors either. So this is my first one as well. And when I, uh, when I put it on, I was like, God damn this guy, I like Malcolm's point about it being instructional uh, because that is like absolutely when I watched it, I was like, well, I'm going to start one of these communes in <laughs> <Yeah>. Canada. <laughs> uh, 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 and, get a uh, truckload of pickaxes and some guys. I thought but, that's what you guys did up there already. Yeah, no, well, you know, we're, we're, yeah. we're working on it. The ground's a little cold. <laughs> we're working on it. Um, but but also the 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 copy that Eddie and I watched too to Malcolm's point uh, we we watched like that uh, what was like a, what felt like a laser disc rip of the Kino release yeah so I'm looking it up there's no nothing online for Kino Lorber Our Daily Bread but the opening title card says Kino International yeah and and there was like a little part that opened with King Vidor being like I. Uh, I, I didn't want to prostitute myself to the studio, so I just paid for this film. Yeah, it's weird. It. There was like a behind-the-scenes <laughs> bonus featurette at the beginning of the movie, yeah. uh, which made me think it was like either a VHS or Laserdisc or something like right. that, like where it all just plays in one. But yeah, I, I did love him talking about the production at the beginning, not wanting to prostitute himself, as you said, Josh. Yeah, and, well, and then and there was an end title card as well that said that the film, they thought in 1934 that the film was so convincing in its messaging that uh, they actually delayed the release in California because they thought that it would help Upton Sinclair's campaign <laughs> in 1934. Dude, so this, this, this movie was Mank. This is the this is what uh, Mank should have been about. Was dude. the the delayed re- Hollywood delayed this movie True. to be like all of the men. It looks cool to be shirtless yeah. and to be pickaxing the crowd. <laughs> I forgot that this was written by Mank. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but Mank. yeah, for all the reasons we've already said, like it's it's a it's a very fun and very you know uh, very broad and. You kind of have to move with the emotions of it uh, quickly. But if you can, uh, there is a really, really nice sense of movement to the entire thing. And it builds up to one of the greatest 10 minutes of any movie that I've ever seen. I've never been more, uh, you know, excited just watching these dusty elements get worked in the way that these guys are, are working it. Rating? Oh, a four. Four bullets from Josh. You're allowed to do half bullets on this show, by the way. Mm. I know. All right, you're sticking to your bullet rating. It's fine. It's fine. Well, I know you guys change don't do now. the halves. You guys don't do the halves on Sleaze. Oh, That's true. Very stringent about that. <laughs> um, I'm going four and a half bullets on this. I 
think that is really incredible to pair with its predecessor, the crowd, uh, because they both. Oh, ach- Mister! I've seen more than one King Vidor over here. <laughs> yeah. he wants to keep. No, it knowledge up. is power. I, I like that. I like that you've seen it. <laughs> thank you, Malcolm. What? It's not. It's not a bad thing. <laughs> no, I'm. I'm movie. saying thank you to Malcolm, yeah, exactly. and I'm not acknowledging what our guest said. Yeah, guest. exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> But I, I think that, that was them both getting confused on who was doing irony. <laughs> <laughs> I no love irony. seeing that in person. <laughs> it, hap- it happens a lot on the podcast. No irony here. Uh, both of them are about changing societies and how individuals and crowds move within those changing societies. And despite the fact that King Vidor might have been a staunch anti-communist and you know the general way he sees the world. Uh, isn't exactly the way I see it. Not, and that doesn't mean I'm a staunch communist. Uh, but it, it's just that, like, <laughs> gotta dispel the rumors. I, I think he gets at so many universal human truths about, you know, just humanity and American history as well as it was happening at the time, and held true over the years as these films are held up as classics. And uh, mm-hmm. keep on rocking, King Vidor. <laughs> <laughs> Keep on making that good stuff. I, I love Shame. the late period film he made, like a low budget video he made in the sixties called like Truth and Illusion, an introduction to metaphysics. Oh. Yeah, dude. He was above humanity at that point. He was yeah. like, I'm all about objects and like <laughs> reality. <laughs> it's it's pretty sick. <laughs> Maybe that's that's what you ascend to, you know. Exactly. I mean? Once once you're above all of this human drama, you make truth and illusion an introduction to metaphysics. We'll be right back on Extended Clip. Malcolm in the middle. Life is unfair. And of course, with this reunion tour for Malcolm in the Middle, we are filling in every year of our 100 years of cinema. So for Timeline A, we started this uh, week for 1933, still in the pre-code era. And uh, you know what? 1933, there are some incredible incredible movies Uh, i wanted to talk a little bit about college coach because this is a very like ahead of its time movie about the uh unethical nature of college athletics uh and facts it's it's insane like it's it's dick powell uh and company it's kind of more of a ensemble cast but dick powell is kind of the uh heavyweight holding it down it's one of multiple pre-code movies from 1933 i love going back to these old movies and being like the problems they're still the same huh yeah Yeah. right (laughs) guys they knew it's 100 years ago there must be someone orchestrating all these problems but yeah it gets into like how college football is like how some of these giant schools run as an institution and how ridiculous of a notion that is and how they'll do anything to protect those players when it's like this is a place where you're supposed to learn and they fake grades so that guys can keep playing and they get people to play who aren't even you know students or whatever and it's like 
yeah, I remember just hearing about that all the time in, in college, just like doing homework for athletes because they needed to have a C average but didn't want to go to class or whatever. It's like I, I just think that the entire notion of academia and athletics like combining is one of the most ridiculous things ever because sports are awesome and school sucks. Uh, so, yeah, watch William Wellman's College Coach. That is an interesting dilemma. You know, I never even really thought of it like that. You know, why are we... We're supposed to be learning here yeah. at school. Uh, I gotta. I'm gonna give a shout out to James Whale here in 1933. He's got a couple. He's got two, two movies. You know, people directors used to work harder back in the day. They direct like three or four movies a year or something like that. The first one's classic. <laughs> it's true. Look it up. Uh, it is true. <laughs> <laughs> now directors are kind of lazy, but uh, they say they're working smarter, but they're not. Yeah. The Invisible Man, James Whale. Speaking of problems, we're still dealing with. True. They're still <laughs> Invisible Men. Um, what are they doing out there? <laughs> this got remade, or did it, in uh, 2020. It did. Is it's it's kind of It kind of just takes... It's just a completely different take on The Invisible Man, I feel like. Mm-hmm. It's just like a... It's not a remake of that movie. Yeah, you know? yeah, I would say. It's a remake of the story. So first of all, we're calling that out, but uh, mm. no. No. <laughs> No, but James Whale, Invisible Man. I, it, this is one of my favorite. Um, I don't know what these are. The, like horror movies, early '30s horror movies, yeah. like Dracula, Frankenstein, the Universal Monster yeah, Cycle. Universal. Yeah, and like uh, I don't know. There's the conceit of the Invisible Man, like him putting on bandages. You know what I mean? That's kind of a visual. I do pleasure, know what you mean. A visual pleasure to me that will never get old. It's kind of. It like, is very funny. <laughs> like I, I like that a lot. And then he's probably the most dastardly of all the universal <laughs> monsters. He gets maniacal pretty fast yeah. after very learning goofy. he can be invisible in a room. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it goes and and if this was more leaning into the pre-code vibes of it, I think it would get a little more raunchy, but you oh. know, Universal knew that these movies were selling and that kids liked the monsters and stuff. Yeah. It's like we can't get that perverted. Yeah, I mean with the concept like the Invisible Man, the movie would almost be too evil. Well, I think know? that's what the new one's about, right? Well, Corman did X Man with the X-ray eyes, oh. and you want to know what that man was doing with those X-ray <laughs> eyes? Take a look. I'm gonna need to check that movie out. <laughs> you know, that gag is in Agent Cody Banks too. X-ray <laughs> glasses. Yeah, he gets X-ray glasses and he looks at a girl's boobs, but he looks at he just sees through her shirt to see her bra. It's really it's like a very it's a very PG <laughs> gag. <laughs> Low grade X-ray technology. <laughs> That's so funny. That's so. That is kind of like I feel like I saw that in a couple of kids show the X-ray glasses. Yeah. Like you could see people nude, and you're like, Ooh. I guess that'd be cool maybe once. Um, the kiss before the mirror, James Whale. It's one of my favorite concepts of a movie of all time. You know, I might. I feel like not a lot of people have seen this movie, so I'm gonna steal this idea and remake it as my own. Okay. But, um, it's about this lawyer. And this lawyer has a friend, right? And he comes to him and he says, you know, my wife's been cheating on me, so I killed her. You're my best friend. You're a lawyer. Can you get me off? You know, make you know, make me innocent in the eyes of the law. The lawyer's like, you know, I'm not comfortable with this, but you're my best friend. I'll do it. Let's, let's do this. And he was like wondering, you know, how did you know that your wife was cheating on you? You know, how did you, how do you know, you know, what did you watch see it happen he's like he's like i saw you know everything but basically i saw the light in her eyes you know when she said she was going out to see her friends or whatever basically describes a lot of stuff and the lawyer realizes wait these are things 
my wife is doing too. <laughs> so <laughs> so he, he, he re, his, his goal, he's like, if I could get my friend off for murder here, then I'm going to go murder my wife for cheating on me because I, f- I found a legal loophole. And uh, we'll watch the movie to find out what happens. Wow. Gonna have to do that. Uh, can we move on to 1935? Josh, JT, anything from that year that you guys like? Good question. Uh, can yeah, I do 1933? I have oh, one lined one up because yeah, you're yeah, yeah, Of course, yeah. Just one, one more. Uh, I want to do Babyface. Oh, so good. Because I already brought it up. Barbara Stanwyck. Speaking one... of proto-Duke, we got the young, young, young John Wayne in a scene in that. Yeah, yeah. And Babyface was uh, one of the ones that we're going to be talking about that actually does take advantage of being pre-code and mm-hmm. is raunchy as hell. And this woman, this Barbara Stanwyck woman, she is just climbing that professional and social ladder using her dang body to an unfair advantage. Well, I would say one part of the dang body. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and the, the rest of the movie is all of the men being suicidal about it. Yeah, it's and awesome. it's sick. It's the best. And it's, <laughs> that's all of the movie. So, is. And it's just like real life. Well, it <laughs> visualizes it like literally the the framing devices throughout the movie. Uh, and it's not really a framing device, I guess, but a visual motif throughout the movie is seeing the exterior of the building that she works at and seeing her ascend as she sleeps with more and more powerful people until she gets to the top, quite literally sleeping herself, uh, sleeping her way to the top of the company. And it is a raunchy hell of a time with our old friend Babs Standwick. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, is because there's kind of like a lot of pre-codes that Mm. venture in the same territory. Is this the one that begins with like her dad dying in a fire or something like that and then her like a older professor type teaches her it's like the oh only- use your yeah yeah, yeah yeah he tells her to use her body uh like use men and he he's, isn't he talking about nietzsche or something yeah, like that nietzsche. At one point? yeah, 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 yeah that that's is right that's right yeah yeah, yeah, yeah he's yeah. like like read nietzsche you know take <laughs> lessons from him and that's how you deal with people that's like, awesome that's crazy that's that's pretty crazy for the time pre-code movies were awesome oh yeah yeah we yeah. love pre-code movies here jt okay uh 1935 triumph of the will uh, <laughs> <laughs> Cha-ching. No, no 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 i'm not we're not getting into any of that stuff Oh no! Um, I, w- I was thinking about doing the Disney Three Little Pigs for 1933 briefly, where the wolf is a, a Orthodox Jew stereotype. <laughs> I didn't, see, I didn't know about this. What's this one called? What's it called? <laughs> I get to relay the story of the Three Little Pigs to Malcolm right now. Oh yeah, it's probably just called Three Little Pigs. Good to know. All right, I'll look it up later. Um. Yeah. Take I don't know. It. In terms, in terms of uh, films we haven't hit on here. I mean, in 35. There's also like probably like tied for my favorite James Whale movie aside from Old Dark Houses. We have The Bride of Frankenstein. Banger. Yeah. Just he was he was firing so many heaters out then. Yeah. Man. Just like establishing like I don't know. I feel like really setting the ground of spooky gothic vibes on cinema. Um, we also have another great. Uh, Marx Brothers movie this year, A Night at the Opera. I feel like among like some of the top shelf Marx Brothers movies, I think this one, and I may be wrong, has a very racist segment because I remember, or at least like a a racial segment because I think <laughs> I I saw it in the theater and it's just like everyone's yucking up. Like having a great time, like during a Marx Brothers movie, and then it's just like 
I mean, obviously, like, it's not funny. Like, people aren't going to laugh at, like, parts that are explicitly racist. But it's crazy to just watch the air get sucked out of a room and just yeah. people go dead silent. And, I mean, also, you get that when Harpo plays his harp, too. But, uh, yeah, th- those are some bangers from 35. Uh, we also have a very underrated John Ford film, uh, a John Ford masterpiece, Steamboat Round the Bend. This is a Will Rogers movie that Ma- Malcolm was. This the one that you were watching when your dad like walked in and you were watching a John Ford movie with Step and Fetch it, and he no. was like, "What are you doing?" Uh, Judge Priest. Oh, that was which, Judge Priest because there's spread, multiple of these. I was gonna say yeah. that might be the worst one to get walked into. Yeah, I don't know, dude. Getting walked in on during the more <laughs> racial parts of Steamboat Around the Bend might be more awkward because, like, it's, <laughs> the thing is, it is about that. It's like there, there's even like a wax museum involved with, uh, you know, American history to that point and. Ford is already doing his weird version of semi-revisionist history and the broad strokes of reconciliations between humans, but coming from a man who is probably very racist still. Yeah. And like, uh, it, it's a very contradictory picture, but it's also just a, a, a movie where the last 20 minutes, you're just like, that steamboat is about to come around that bend. Yeah. Like it's a, you know, steamboat race. <laughs> like it's really awesome in that sense because Ford is doing all of his crazy like placing American history icons as figures on a chessboard uh, for like 15 minutes. And then he's like, oh yeah, it's a genre picture now. Yeah. Uh, and the hour before that is a weird, aw shucks, Will Rogers comedy. Uh, but it's like also more of a drama. There's like a crime element too. And it's it's really all over the place, but I yeah. love it. Judge Priest is, you know, you're talking about history. I feel like Judge Priest is a valuable movie in that it shows the alternate history of that goes on between like people and communities like because mm-hmm. john ford was basically showing people like people act like the south one in the confederacy <laughs> like <laughs> even even even, <laughs> even though they lost they still like strutted around and like would tell confederate stories and like you know celebrate that hard yeah basically as if they won and uh i don't know his complete feelings on that but it's it's kind of it's kind of an interesting you know i don't know thing it's a it's another piece in the puzzle all right, timeline A is done for the week, and now we are in timeline B, starting in 2005. I wanted to shout out a movie called Linda, Linda, Linda by Nobuhiro Yamashita. This is a coming-of-age musical-adjacent drama. Uh, it's a bunch... <laughs> The thing is, it's one of those movies where also Malcolm, like if your dad walked in on you watching this, it might be weird too. Because it's like, what's this movie you're watching, son? Well, it's these Japanese schoolgirls that are like, (laughs) sometimes they're kind of depressed and one of them, or one of them is depressed and wants to find solace in making a a girl group with her friends and performing at the big uh, school event, you know? Yeah. It's one of the most cathartic movies I've ever seen. The end, like the end performance of the titular song is just like... It goes fucking bananas. Yeah. And I, I gave it the immediate f- like five star. And I was like, maybe it's not a perfect movie, but it's a five star finale to be damn sure. Um, another one I really like in the tired, uh, tired genre of the rock doc. We have two genuinely really, really good ones this year in Bob Dylan, No Direction Home by Scorsese, which sure it's limited in its scope, but the fact that it is only that sixties period, but like four and a half hours long, lets it go super deep. And then there's also the devil and Daniel Johnston, uh, which is 
one of my, if not my favorite rock doc, uh, just a fantastic portrait of one of the most, I don't know, psychologically misunderstood artists of all time, probably. And when I say that, I mean that I still also don't understand. Like, no one will truly get to the heart of what he was feeling when he wrote those songs. But his life story is enough context for you. And I think this film does a great job at uh, showing you the life story. You know, I've gone through 05 on Letterboxd. For some reason, I have the 05 Bewitched movie at three and a half stars. Oh. Kind of an interesting rating. There. That is very interesting. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember the Family Guy cutaway where Stewie goes and flies to L.A. to beat up Will Ferrell for that movie? Yes, I do, actually. <laughs> That's, I guess, me and Stewie might dis... Well, I, I hate Stewie, if you remember that. Yeah, I don't <laughs> know. Yeah. That's part of extended clip canon. I don't like Stewie. I do like the movie Waiting from 2005. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> Starring Ryan Reynolds. And I watched this recently, too. It's honestly, it holds up pretty well. It's, I think it's pretty good. It's mm. like a... I know, you've talked about it on the podcast. Have I? Yeah. Oh, fuck. <laughs> you, can, you can just give it a quick shout out. Oh, uh, yeah. quick. Let's do some quick shout outs. We don't really need to go deep on... Let's, waiting, Hustle and Flow, Guess Who, uh, <laughs> Rebound... Guess oh. who being the guess who's coming to dinner remake? Uh, gen, no, sorry, race swapped. Uh, guess who's coming to dinner remake, starring Bernie Mac and Ashton Kutcher. Very, very enjoy. I I remember I watched a very transgressive movie. I remember watching like a, there was like a stretch. I think maybe a year, either a year or two years ago, just couldn't bring myself to watch a movie for like a couple weeks, and I put on Guess Who, got the job done. Uh, mm. Cyber Seduction, His Secret Life. Probably the best Lifetime movie out there. This, wow, this, that's saying something. Because it's, it's, you know, Lifetime, like everything becomes aware of what people, you know, people watch it because it's funny or whatever. But um, this is about uh, an all-star swimmer, high school swimmer, who becomes addicted to watching pornography to the point where it destroys his swimming career and his a relationship with his girlfriend. And I don't know, it's... <laughs> They very explicitly make it a fact where he's watching a bunch of porn. No implication of masturbation whatsoever in this movie. Wow. Kind of funny. Um, Watch and learn. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's I, I've been talking too much on this segment. That's so fun. That's why it's called Malcolm in the Middle. True. <laughs> uh, Josh, do you have any particularly strong feelings about the movies of 2007? Oh man, you keep skipping to me right when I wanted to jump in in 2005. <laughs> like, it, like the line comes over and I'm ready to talk about 2005. Let me do a quick round. Because one, I wanted to give a shout out to the Peter Jackson King Kong, only okay. because 1933 was also the original King Kong. Oh, nice. so oh. it's kind of a cool little okay. little thing there. Ah. We, we had you, you we know, could have done that as a double feature, but I'm glad we didn't. This stretch of time, we've got the <laughs> wow. King Kongs going, and Peter Jackson does got some monster movie ick in that. I forever since I was a kid, I will remember that shot of that worm eating that man's arm. But the actual ones that I want to give a quick shout out to are Red Eye, Re Wes Craven, recently uh, 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 passed. And I went through all of his films uh, over the last, like, you know, kind of like year and a half or so. Watched every single one. And Red Eye really, really held up. Rachel McAdams getting kidnapped by uh, Mr. Mister Cillian Murphy himself, mm. uh, Mr. Oppenheimer. And, uh, yeah, Wes Craven just, he got a lot of, like, post-9-11 paranoia going on in that of, like, a literal kidnapping and assassination attempt that goes to some pretty cartoon places. People shooting RPGs at hotel rooms and shit. It gets crazy. So that one is an absolute blast. And the other one I wanted to shout out was The Three Burials, 
Prince of Malkiti's Estrada, which I don't know if any of you guys have seen, mm-hmm. but I wanted to give a shout out. Directed by Tommy Lee Jones. I just found out that that movie existed because it I is found sick. out he's directed multiple movies, apparently. It is so sick. It, I watched it, I think, last year or so, and it, it immediately jumped to like a my top 10 for 2005 because it's basically his version of bring me the head of alfredo garcia and it is literally instead of being a corpse-based economy of having to actually work with this guy it's about his uh a guy who works on his property uh one of his sort of like ranch hands gets murdered uh by a cop played by barry pepper mm-hmm. and so he drags barry pepper at gunpoint and is like you're gonna help me bury my friend Damn. and they so they make the trek to mexico and like barry pepper Great performance from him, and it's just, it's so sweaty and so sad and very sensitive watching Tommy Lee just, you know, and disgusting. Like, there is a moment where, in order to preserve the corpse, because he's like, this is my friend, I'm going to make sure he gets all the way home to his hometown, he fills the body with, like, antifreeze, and Barry Pepper has to, like, carry the corpse on his back. It's crazy. That sounds disgusting. Yes. And very good. JT, uh, do you have any 2007 movies that you want to shout out? Yeah, there are three here off the off the top of my list that I would like to uh, address very quickly. Um, I feel like uh, a Todd Haynes, two thousand seven. I'm not there. His uh, Bob Dylan picture is one of my favorites of his. I mean, I really want to. You haven't seen this yet, right, Eddie? I have not. No, I've really wanted to. I want. I double am very dipping curious on the Bob. Your thoughts oh, yeah. on it. Um, I mean, it's just, like, it's sick. He has, like, I don't know, the initial, like, conceit of just having a bunch of different actors be different eras of Dylan. And then, like, the Richard Gere plot is, like, not even, like, a Dylan. It's just sort of, like, the Western, like, vibes of, like, Dylan just, like, told in, like, a, I don't know. He's, like, doing this, like, it's just a Western story I feel like that's very Dylan inspired. Even I feel like I need to do like deep digging into the Dylan lore to fully get everything. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of uh, big swings that are taken in this that I think are like interesting, um, great choices. Uh, you have David Cross as Allen Ginsberg, which is very funny. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, what else we got here? Um, Number twenty three. Oh, um, yes. I feel like like yes. it's like ultimate three star movie for me. Like weird bozo premise, a performance from Jim Carrey that teeters on very bad to like. Okay, I see what he's going for here. It's a lot of fun. I feel like this weird like aesthetic of the neo noir that it is. It's getting on. It's getting by on fumes for me. But it's still like I feel like it has a reputation as just like dog shit terrible. Nah, it's pretty fun. Check it out. Pretty good movie. Um, Pretty good movie. And then one of my favorite Adam Curtis films is from this year, uh, The Trap. What happened to our dream of freedom? Where I feel like in this one, sort of the overlying exploration that Curtis is going with. I feel like especially like hot on like it being the bush uh blair years is just sort of how politicians have been able to strip away um rights and like liberties under the guise of like opening up freedoms like at home and abroad and uh i don't know i feel like this one is 
they're like hallmark like Curtis films that I feel like um, sort of summarize his whole project best. And I feel like The Trap and Can't Get You Out of My Head are like his two just biggest works on that extent. Mm. So yeah, those are those are three from both seven for me. So everybody knows the big American movie, the big dick auteur American movies of 07, you know. And you know what? They're all great, okay? We're not going to go into detail about why No Country, There Will Be Blood, and Zodiac are fucking great movies. Michael Clayton. And Michael Clayton as well, uh, that is in the Oscar contention there, so I guess we'll group it in. <laughs> I was almost going to put it as the, no, I was going to include it in my uh, oh, my more okay, B-sides okay. one, but that is a little too you know mainstream and mm-hmm. acclaimed to include it. So I want to say that in 07, it is one of the best years of cinema in the last 40 years because of beyond the like four or five huge studio masterpieces by auteurs. You also have movies like Redacted by Brian De Palma. Mm-hmm. Uh, his remake or really reskin of Casualties of War onto the Iraq War. Uh, and this is how fucked up America is. <laughs> Casualties of War, based on a true story, Redacted. He saw that the tr- the same true story happened again in Iraq. It was like, well, it's like, might as well make the movie again. Then, like, it's still going to be based on. He the literally true story. dug the old script out and like yeah. reused lines and everything. Yeah, it's incredible, and it's a uh, a mixed media movie. I'm not going to call it found footage. That's stupid. Uh, it's, <laughs> it uses you know one character is like trying to get into film school and he's making a video diary and there's security cams and there's like websites with uh, like uh, videos and there's a fake French document that's very like formally precise too and i love the way that de palma places the camera and uses handheld in different types of form you know who's supposed to be holding the camera uh other good 2007 movies include norbit um let's see the bratz movie of course we've talked about on the podcast uh former golden gear winner uh, John Voight for sleepiest performance <laughs> in Bratz. I don't think that could ever even be topped. Nobody yeah. will ever top that. Uh, we have Om Shanti Om, uh, the classic Farrah Khan movie with uh, Shah Rukh Khan in the lead, of course. And who, who can forget Superbad? It's still funny. You yeah. can't you can't play down the greatness of Superbad. It might be the best studio comedy of its era. I think that's a fair thing to say. Also, I think Go-Go Tales might be one it of my is. favorite. It is. I was going to say Go-Go, Go-Go Tales. Tales is so good. One of my favorite uh, Abel Ferrara movies and definitely, uh, you know, if you like the Safdie brothers, maybe you could check out Go-Go Tales because I feel like, you know, I, I guess I said that kind of in a weird tone, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, you uh, like the Safdie Yeah, I know. I do. Yeah. I do. But it, it, it is like... Uh, it like it, And they like Ferrara. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> no. But like... And they all like Cassavetes. Yeah, <laughs> true. It, it you reminds could, me of all the club scenes in Chinese Bookie as well. Exactly. Yeah, no, it's exactly. It's so you, could, you could feel the influence on like the the momentum and the pacing of like Good Time and Uncut Gems for sure. Yeah. What Go Go Tales is doing. Any last words on 07, Josh? Uh, Stuart Gordon stuck. I wanted Ooh, to throw that in there. Stuart Gordon made a stuck porn. <laughs> yeah, that's right, man. Well, and not only that, the fetish is: what if you hit and run a man, and he gets stuck in your windshield? Oh, and that's it awesome. is it is a real time thriller of what is this woman going to do with this man alive, barely alive in her windshield, and it's fucking <laughs> sick. He's literally stuck in there. It rocks. Dang, Damn. you know, you, you, that's kind of like a head of its time gender swap. <laughs> Stuck, stuck scenario yeah, yeah dude yeah. the stuck scenario is a genre <laughs> into itself yeah uh we will be right back on extended clip
we're back. Extended clip. Still Life by Ja Jung-ke. JT, this is your first film by Ja Jung-ke, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, like, it's just one of those things where it's just, like, you know a director is in, like, a high pantheon and is, like, has classics and masterpieces and you're just waiting for the day that's they're going they're going to call to you and a lot of the times I'm I'm called to by a director because of the podcast takes me off the movie watching bench and uh I I I uh I am not surprised but I am blown away in uh, in a way that uh I don't know it's just like wow sometimes the masters you really know why they're doing it well put. <laughs> so, so it sounds like you enjoyed the movie. Yeah, no, it was great. I um, yeah. just the idea. I, I mean, there are many things that are fantastic in the film, but just following, like, just as a nice, like, sort of literalization of like a metaphor of having them being like the the dudes just physically destroying buildings, like doing demolition to like strip away like history. Is just very uh, I don't know. It's it's the same like sort of thing what we were talking about with the uh, our daily bread where it's just like it's fun to see shirtless dudes like working uh, for and eating obvious, noodles. Yeah, you and, said the shirtless part, not me. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah I no. did too, JT. I'll back you. It's up. okay. It's okay. I'm neutral on the position. <laughs> <laughs> um, he says that, but he's shirtless in the room. <laughs> um, and uh, it's devastating. So, still life in general. Uh, this is the. I don't know why I set that up. I don't know which one. I think it's his fifth movie. I'm just guessing at that point. Um, platform <laughs> or uh, pickpocket platform. Uh, the world. Uh, uh, unknown pleasures. Yeah, I guess this is his fifth movie. So this is Jajunka's fifth movie from 2006. It's shot digitally, much like Unknown Pleasures was, but I think this time the image is much more refined. We're four years later. The cameras are a little bit better. He knows how to get more out of digital, and he really fucking does. Oh this movie just God. looks insane through the whole thing. Uh, you open on this long take of all these people on a boat who are going to get dropped off in the province that the film takes place in, and uh, we meet our main character, or one of two main characters on there, uh, played by Han Sin Ming, and he is dropped off. after. And I actually want to get back to that long take. It's just like floating through all these people. It feels like... He's both tracking through it or steady camming through it and doing pans at the same time. A lot of compound movement, even though it's all left to right. There's no real up and down other than to catch people's faces. But then we see our man uh, just staring out at the water, the back of the boat. He gets a ride on a motorcycle to his old address and it's just underwater. And the whole village is underwater. And it turns out that is our introduction to the milieu of the film, which is kind of really like with his next film after this 24 city being a hybrid doc. Uh, this one also kind of uh, is one step into that because it takes place around the building of the three gorges dam. And this is a giant, you know, uh, CCP project uh, to increase the flow of the Yangtze river for trade. Uh, so of course, Jaws always interested in how China's, uh, further globalization is going to affect the lives of people. That's like 
one of his big projects, obviously. Uh, so this is we a could guy... have done the Three Gorges Dam on this episode. Actually, I just realized because that yeah. was in development in like the 1920s or Damn. something. Damn. Yeah. Damn. Hey. And it still uh, wasn't done until like six years after this movie came out, I believe. Holy shit. Uh, <laughs> that's crazy. We see uh, that Han Sin Ming's character doesn't have anywhere to go. He's looking for his family. And that's like the first third of the movie is, you know, he used to be a coal miner. There's no coal mining work here. He gets into some demolition work. And uh, it's really just like... I don't know. I, I love how it opens out of just this pure desperation. Like he avoids being robbed by not having anything on him other than a knife, which I think is a very like elemental bare bones genre instinct from Jajanka, who obviously is dipping his toes more and more into genre work as time goes by. Uh, you know, he's only a few films out from a touch of sin at this point. So, you know, a scene like that, he might cut it as austere as someone as like Robert Brisson, but it still has that gut uh, genre impact. Uh, so, you know, then we get some classic long stately takes. You know, you have him kind of exploring his new pad and you see a kid come in and steal a cigarette, light one up and leave. And you get the first title card, uh, cigarettes and cigarettes, liquor, tea and toffee are the things uh, that are, you know, shown in a Chinese character in English subtitle as kind of title cards, but they do, they only really correspond to something that is in play dramatically. But, like, it's, it, it's not, like, naming each section or anything. I actually read there was a, a review in Cinemascope, actually, that claimed that this was meant to actually be sig uh, signify the replacements over the years for the standard for household items in China, which was fuel, rice, cooking oil, and salt. I saw that too, and I saw it on Wikipedia, Ooh. so I wasn't sure about saying it because it was in a rush, and then you come in with the Cinemascope source, boom. That's right, baby. We're good to go. That's yeah. right. That's usable. Yeah. <laughs> usable. Uh, and not not that I don't use Wikipedia for research, but like I didn't even see who it was attributed to, like what review that was quoted from, and I was like, yeah. that's a weird thing to just put in the plot description of a movie mm -hmm, on Wiki, mm -hmm, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, but that that is just life is changing is what we're yeah. what we're talking about ultimately. It's you know the uh, essential items are you need to drink your day. You know? <laughs> yeah. And you need to get he, those cigarettes going. He gets a demo job from these like sweaty boys, uh, one of which is technically the uncle of his child but he's so estranged from his wife and child that they're not family he's just gonna help this guy out with the job and he gets the job in a hilarious scene that josh referred to in terms of eating noodles where it's the best he's just talking to the one dude and then another guy comes up the stairs joins him on the sofa or the bed or whatever it is then another guy and by the end of the scene there's like four dudes all slurping noodles all uh, squished together yeah. all incredibly wet <laughs> yeah. sitting in a bed no. together just in a shot reverse shot with our main character trying to get work so he could find his family yeah and one of them off screen keeps threatening to throw him into the river because he keeps bringing up the past because yeah. this is this is the subject of the movie man. Like, the past we're we're tearing it down we're getting rid of it we don't need it no more no yeah i mean it is like the character's you know, you know, they're searching for, you know, there's two main characters in this movie and they're both searching for people and, you know, they're, the towns are so different, you know, in this guy's instance, his town is literally underwater. Phone numbers have changed. Phone numbers have different digits now. And it's like, you know, even checking out for 16 or two years, it's just like the progress of change is, is coming at a kind of a confusing and probably 
you know, harmful pace for a mm-hmm. lot of the, the people in this movie. And, uh, it, it's, uh, you know, it causes, it's, it's reasonable to see why these characters are in such a cloud of confusion because it's, you know, the, the change seems to be, you know, happening. Well, it, it helps that the backdrop of yeah. the film also is just straight up the real life destruction yeah, of everything that they're experiencing. Like having them framed so frequently by these, like obviously gorgeously framed vistas of the characters looking out at, into their backgrounds, but like the actual things that we're seeing are the decay and the damage being caused by mm. the dam that was happening in real in in real life. Like it was causing huge floods and landslides and issues with waste management. Like everything to you see in this film is characters just garbage, buildings breaking down. The only jobs anyone can get is helping break the buildings down faster. Like mm-hmm, it is yeah. just, and that is every single shot you will not, no matter what you're seeing, if it's a scene of like two characters having a fictional melodramatic moment, you are never less than a, you know, a, a quick tilt or pan and all of a sudden you are seeing the real destruction of the dam. No, yeah, I feel like he kind of works with like, in maybe like an interior scene, like, you know, the guys with the noodles or like the scene, you know, scenes where he's hanging out in the inn that he stays at. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of guys there, you know, the inn's pretty run yeah, down a little yeah. there too. <laughs> it, they, he usually will make it, you know, do more traditional coverage, you know, with that stuff where, mm-hmm. you know, if we're seeing any bit of the outside, whether it's outside a window or the characters are outside themselves, you know, he's uh, the director, he's ruminating in the environment in a way where it's like, not exactly like a medium shot. It's almost like he's giving a little bit more weight to, you know, the background behind them, you mm-hmm. know, in these, in these conversations. And it's a, you know, it's a very, I, I think, uh, even though we're seeing, you know, it's like a lot of decay, there's some, it's a very like pleasing visual style. Well, I think yeah. also, uh, the exteriors, what you're saying about the distance and the backgrounds and everything the the digital aspect of this is what's mm-hmm. you know making this so hard to talk about kind of because it doesn't look how most films look it's an early digital movie and he's kind of flattening the image it, yeah. it's like you have deep focus but it doesn't feel deep uh the characters feel like they're in their backdrops and that's why i think he realizes the beauty of that and the strangeness of that and what that can imply in terms of the story in terms of flattening you know, past and present and moving on to the future and all of these things that flattening an image and putting a person into a landscape kind of has more, you know, metaphorical weight for the narrative because there are so many shots of either of these main characters in, yeah, I guess a medium shot with just like a giant landscape right in front of them. And it's just beautiful. I mean, this is some of Jaws' best framing that I've seen Mm -hmm. from him. Uh, It's really... Oh my God, that shot when you can see the... The building fall down behind them. Yeah. Oh my god, oh my that's god. insane. Yeah. Yeah. They're the. Did he just, just got... get lucky? What was going on? Uh, yeah. No, that was a CG shot. Was it? Yeah, there are a couple oh. CG shots, and that's one of them. Uh, Digital kind of hides it for him a little yeah, bit on that he... one. Because I with the UFO, I went. Eh, well, well, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> or when the yeah when that uh, <laughs> that building turned uh, into a spaceship and just took well, no that one I believe. Too. Oh okay yeah no that was a magical building yeah. <laughs> I like that this is when he gets into UFOs because, like, they come back a couple times for Jaw, or at least in uh, Ashes Pierced White, they come back at one point. Yeah. The future, it's man, like, it's coming. Hey, uh, you never know what's coming. You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you never know, man. Like, uh, think about you know where he 
something like platform and like the the past that he depicted versus what we're looking at you know 10 years from now globally like things have changed so much that hell maybe there is ufos out there too is that your read on you know why the ufo inclusion no i think the ufos there because it's just like this insane thing to introduce Zhao Tao kind of at yeah. first it's just like uh Zhao Tao is the greatest actress ever let's put a UFO in the movie to introduce her because she's the star of the movie but she's not in the first 45 minutes uh no I, I think she had to get dropped off in the middle yeah. of production <laughs> uh, 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 uh. that's insane uh <laughs> yeah she got she got dropped off by the movie loving aliens uh so yeah the the first part of the movie so ends uh, with the you know uh, Han Sen Ming character doing his job, and then there's these guys in hazmat suits with these weird like scanners or something yeah, like that. that. Was, and the the sci fi music, yeah, the sci fi music starts swelling up. I couldn't tell it was the crazies or the mo- safe the guy in yeah. safe mm-hmm. on the poster. I thought the movie was about to become about that. Where yeah, it's like. These, it's like Damn, are we working like in a place where like all, a bunch of toxic chemicals are probably us? and it's like, yeah, I think that speaks to the testament of the movie where it's like, you know, that's just a brief little thing that happens. It's like, yeah, you probably are. He has a conversation with his brother where he's like, dude tells him like you're a nostalgist. And uh, our guy says, you can't forget who you are. And, yeah. you know, I, and maybe that's a bad English translation, but the the gist of it being that like nostalgia is kind of going to be inherent if you remember who you are uh and, and it's well and if things are moving as quickly as they are like yeah, like it, yeah. it's it's a different experience now to be having that speed and have yeah. you have those things people might have had decades to think about or consider you're like i'm nostalgic for like a thing that existed like two years ago what the f- <laughs> yeah exactly he's nostalgic for when they had seven digits instead of eight in the phone yeah. yeah yeah and 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 even that first moment when he gets on the motorcycle and he's you know he's he's getting his ride and he's literally given the guy his address to go to his old house and he shows up and he's just in the middle of a river yeah and he's like all everything you previously knew even like five years ago is completely underwater and like that's such an uh, obviously a crazy revelation it's so well established in the framing and the way that he shoots it and what's so interesting to me is the first part of this um is so focused on that ground level the workers experience during this transition period this demolition period and when it switches to Zhao Tao it switches actually a little bit into perspective because she's searching for a lost uh, spouse as well mm-hmm. but hers is actually someone who's part of the industrial process someone who's actually invested in the money and invested and there's this beautiful shot of them building this like gorgeous bridge and all of the bridge uh, lighting up at night and they're showing look at look at the future look at these things that we're building and just getting the contrast of the two perspectives on what it is that's happening you know you you have things people are trying to build and the, the money that's going into it and how it's alienating some of them from their personal lives and and also how that's having an effect that's moving its way down as they actually, you know, build the things they're doing. Yeah, that scene at the bridge that uh, Tao's, uh lost husband, you know, was in charge financially of is really huge. Like, I don't know if it's him or one of the other business associates, but refers to the bridge as taming the Yangtze like Mao wanted us to do. Uh, <laughs> and uh, that's the the one of two big, like, uh, times that they invoke Mao. The other is in the first part 
when he goes to uh, the location of a mountain that is depicted on a piece of currency. And first you get the close-up of Mao on the dollar bill uh, mm-hmm. or the whatever, however many marks that note is, and then turns it over to see the mountain. And it's like, you know, it's just like the upside-down Mao in platform. It's like clearly they've gone far from what he had envisioned or what he did, whether or not the viewer or, you know, uh, current Chinese people are Maoist necessarily. It's just kind of an objective thing of like where that party began and where it is and uh, how much things have changed in the the global era of China. As we get into the Zhao Tao part, uh, I, I really love that transition. It's one of the most poetic parts of the movie where they both see a UFO, basically. Uh, it cuts from him seeing one to her seeing one. You're like, oh, I know her. She's in his other movies. Yeah. And then you get a series of still life shots, kind of introdu- introducing her milieu, uh, the, the titular still life shots, if you will. <laughs> uh, and they're all like really beautiful, too. I mean, Jaws is just a master of composition, and that, that's him at his most painterly, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that section is uh, called T. That's the third one or the, the third title card. I guess it's within that. Yeah, I don't know. Um, there's a great like architectural structure, this like minimalist uh, block of squares kind of that eventually yeah. turns into a spaceship and takes off while she's uh, hanging up her clothes. And uh, she finally does reunite with her husband very coldly. Uh, and it's just like, I don't know, it's a very difficult scene as Ja just plays them in a long take outside and you see them. I don't know what it is, like some oil derricks or some sort of industrial machinery in the backdrop. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, they're like dancing slash hugging together and then asking for a divorce. And it's just like a very it's a very cold scene that kind of implies a lot of horrible kind of history uh, in that couple. No, yeah, I, it is. I I like also the you know the Zhao Tao, uh, character showing up, kind of like uh, the shared aspect of you know what you know what we're seeing. You know how her world is similar to you know the the first main character, and I love uh, the the singing boy who, mm-hmm, who appears. Yeah. You know, and uh, I feel like you know one of this one of the things that this movie does sneakily well is it's it it does a lot of great like uh like lead-in transitions with like uh demolition sound effects mm-hmm. or the tugboat uh, horn tugboat horn just a piece of music that you know he really likes it it, it really is the burst of canto pop in yeah. every one of his movies yeah. is always a blast when yeah. it occurs like yeah, the man it, the man singing in this one is sick yeah he was with his usual musical collaborator on this one and it's like mm-hmm. one of the best like musical ones. it's 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 awesome the yeah. yeah the dude singing is awesome that's the end of the zhao tao one how it transitions back to uh han sin ming's uh story uh for the last like 30 minutes of the movie is just like him at this like sweaty music hall where this shirtless dude uh, is bathed in strobe lights sweating his ass off singing for everyone and going buck wild in the crowd and I, I this is like the the most pathetic of all of the the quote-unquote club scenes in jajan Ko movies like yeah. this one is just like a hot house where dudes are singing to each other. <laughs> it's like gross and sweaty and they're just like, I guess this is fun. I don't know. <laughs> this is our entertainment for the night. Yeah. So, compare yeah. that to the fucking strobing loud nightclub scenes and like unknown pleasures and ashes, pierced white and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, this one is just like a weak hoedown. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sa- same with like the, you know, the, 
he doesn't really luxuriate in this, but you know, the, the dancing by the bridge or whatever, yeah. it's not a, you know, these are, uh, these are characters and they're not looking to dance. They're looking for, you know, lost lovers, you know, and whatnot. And, uh, but I, I feel like, uh, that's what gives a movie like this makes it like so watchable, you know what I mean? Cause it is like, it is a lot of like still life, you know, observing, you know, the demolition, you know, and for some, I don't know. I, I really enjoy that. I, I really enjoy it. But for yeah. some, some people might be less even privy to that, but I think they would be still be able to enjoy the movie just because of like the pace. There's a great pace to it. And like, just, um, he, John just knows when to transition a scene. I feel like he really has that sense to him. So yeah, it goes back to the uh, story of our first act and uh, he's, you know, continuing his demo jobs and then his bro that he works with gets crushed by a wall and it's really rough. It's like, you know, uh, they're all just standing there and then he calls him on the phone to try to find him, you know, and then the phone is ringing from under a pile of rubble and that's, that's pretty rough. Uh, it's also kind of a, like, I don't know. He kind of played as a gag to me. Again, shouldn't yeah. be laughing at these things, but it's a pretty crazy way to reveal it. Down. We're going to have yeah. to talk about this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dark. He's got a dark sense of humor. This guy. Um, so, so he reunites with the bride that he paid three thousand uh, ruan for, you know, years ago, and uh, turns out that he needs more money to <laughs> deal with if he wants to be with her again. I don't know. It's kind of a weird, convoluted thing. Um, well, uh, both stories are united around trying to like, you know, re kindle this thing from the past and mm -hmm. bring it into this new world and the thing that i find interesting about about his is his eventual choice that ends the film is him deciding that you know his daughter is in debt and is in you know in basically it's implied like slavery pretty mm -hmm. much uh to to sort of pay off all of these debts that she has so she has no future and he decides well my life is worth you know, like actually trying to build something for her. This gives me some sort of meaning. Like so much of the film is him wandering, being like, what is the purpose? Like what is an, an individual's purpose in the face of these things? And he goes, I could put my body on the line and go back to the mines and probably kill myself to make some money to, you know, give to my daughter. And that's ultimately the choice that he makes. Yeah, because it seems like he's reconnecting with a person that he doesn't really seem to have the strongest connection to begin with, right? You no, know, he this, mostly looks at a photo of. Yeah, her. it's yeah, like an exactly. idea. It's yeah, the exactly, idea of children yeah. as the future. <laughs> yeah, and like I, 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 I do like that. You know, due to his, you know, kind of drifting nature, you know, he decides on this for direction, and I, I do like kind of him telling all his demolition partners, like, you know, I'm gonna go mining. They're like, oh, that's that's, you know, that's respectful. And it's like, does it, you know, and it pays more too. You know, we're gonna all join you in the mines. Yeah, and oh yeah, all the boys come <laughs> along. And they're having another shirtless meeting. Yeah, and yeah. The, and the, and then like you know, and I've I, been I more cramped on that one. I think. Yeah, and then Jaws so good at like, kind of like having letting conversations kind of pace out because like, then a beat hits and then he's like, you know, mining's actually pretty dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> Last time I was mining, you know, like. Two guys died on the work site. Dozens of guys die each year. So it's kind of nice. And they're like, also kind of like, well, we're getting crushed by stones around here. Yeah, we're yeah, losing yeah, arms yeah. in the factories. <laughs> you know, mining seems pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I love I love him kind of being like, damn, mining's not fun either, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. I, I did really love that beat. 
Uh, so yeah, he leaves the demo game and walks off into the sunset toward the camera <laughs> to uh, go back to the mines uh, to get his daughter out of basically indentured servitude slash slavery debts. Uh, incredible final shot of him looking at the fellas back there, and there's one dude walking on like a telephone wire from one roof to another. Yeah. And I just don't know why he's doing that, but it's incredible. Sick stunt. Yeah. It's a sick stunt. He was just doing a cool stunt. Uh, I think this is an incredible movie. I, I had it at a four, but I'm going to go four and a half bullets in this one. I think the more that I talk about it, the more that I think about it, and the more that I let the images wash over me. You know what I mean? I'm all about the image. And yeah. uh, the more I let those images wash over me, I am convinced that this is you know right up there with uh, some of Jaws' better work. So four and a half bullets from me. What about JT? Um, yeah, I'm going to go four bullets with this one. I mean, I think it's amazing. Like, I am definitely excited to uh, check out more of Jaws' work now um, as this sort of lead-in. Uh, I feel like it's, I don't know, sets, like, it's a good primer. And there is just so much here that, like, connections that are made just through, like, very slight moments that, like, I think what Malcolm was saying where it's just like you could be just aware of like the surface level like textual plot and just be enjoying what you're getting out of it. But then there's just something so funny. Like one moment in particular that I don't think we mentioned was when uh, he first gets to the inn. Like after he's or maybe not like it shortly after he gets to the inn, um, there's that one guy there who is, uh, like, trying to do uh, the Chow Yun-Fat uh, Better Tomorrow, like, lighting the <laughs> That's cigarette. Right. Uh, oh, yeah. The, That's all so the sick. pop culture stuff and Ja Junka stuff, by the way, for UJT, is, it's, it's a it's, blast. That was so sick. Because it's just, like, recontextual. Like, I mean, obviously, that's, like, that's what dudes do. It's, like, they see cool shit in movies, and it's just, like, yeah, I'm going to do that, too. But just recontextualizing that scene with one, I feel like you get like the like digital quality and the like VHS sort of like CRT TV feel to it. But then just like it takes on such a different meaning when you see like a poor guy like being like, fuck it, I'm going to (laughs) waste my money for to look cool as shit. And there's just, I don't know. Yeah, it's like the money magician at the beginning. Exactly. So yeah, exa- oh, my God, dude. That was crazy. <laughs> and it's just Eddie and Josh were mentioning the line about uh, nostalgia. And just here, it's just something like you, the past is being obliterated on, like, in the world. And, like, the remnants of that are being lost uh, lost to time, but the people that have lived through that history, it's always like present to them and it's going to stick in their mind. And it creates this like very weird alienating feeling that like goes throughout the film where it's just like, obviously I think it has like a pretty like negative perspective on like the way of the future. But like, also there's like, you get the moment of like the bridge, like lighting up that like feels like relatively optimistic, but like when he tries to like find her phone number at the beginning, the woman's like, Oh, I mean, and also she seems to be working on her computer after this. So I'm not sure like how much of it is. I feel like bullshit in the scene, but she's like, Oh, the computer stopped. 
Like, it's not working. So it's like you have a very conflicted vision of the way things are going. Malcolm, what about you? Yeah, I'm going to go four and a half bullets. You know, this is a great watch. You know, and it is, you know, for the fans of, like, kind of digital filmmaking, early digital filmmaking, I feel like some of the stuff he does here with, like, Blur is so amazing. Like, you know, that that's we keep going back to the bridge sequence, but I love you know, how he kind of caps it off with like the blurry drive home and like you get the lights, the, the, you know, the grand lighting of the bridge all blurred out. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, he, he's one of those directors, you know, every time I, I watch a movie, it is, I, I always have the inclination to want to rewatch it too. And, uh, you know, this one's, you know, no different, you know, great movie. Josh, it all comes down to you. Yeah. No, it's very, very solid four bullets for me, I think. Uh, Jajanka, just one of the best working Chinese filmmakers, you know, uh, and especially on the subject of alienation and industry and globalization. He has an incredibly dynamic and elegant digital video style to him. And I think that this is one of the more, the one I want to return to quite a bit because the first time I watched it, I was a little like, I was a little taken aback because a lot of his other ones, they have more of a narrative tissue to them, yeah. like unknown pleasures or, you know, like even something like a touch of or the world even mm-hmm. like, you know, like I've, I've seen quite a few of his films and a lot of them, though, also sharing similar ideas of like living in like what is like a literal ruinous crumbling society that has occurred over, you know, decades that we've in some ways tried to compensate for distract yourself from and in some cases like the world it's like by building these chintzy little surfaces of being like you know here's these little all these international landmarks made small and stripped of their history and wonder for your viewing pleasure yeah 9-11 didn't even happen in this one yeah (laughs) and a touch of sin goes as far after this into going into genre pastiche and being like here's like stories and fantasies and all the things that people do to try and you know avoid the fact that we have we have changed the world on a material textual level. And the reason I kind of keep coming back to this one is because of the sort of like neo-realist digital video uh, docu-fiction aspect of it where he really did find an incredible location where something insanely damaging has happened and he says that china let him release it because they were just it was just undeniable the damage yeah. that it did that they didn't they, there was no point in any kind of you know mincing words about it they were like this was a devastating you know dam that completely destroyed this community and he perfectly blends you know his actors that he works with into their surroundings you could say it's the original Nomadland. Wow. If you wanted to. Oh yeah. Just, wow. you know, that's really funny. Guess, I'm gonna really murder you. <laughs> I'm gonna murder you. Nomadland. But but uh but no, this is a, a way no, way, way better build. Uh, <laughs> and and it's just it's so interesting. To, you know, you, again, you'll get an image of pure documentary tragedy of a family living in ruins. And then you'll get a sick pan of Han Sang Ming like smoking on a balcony that looks yeah. like one of those shots of Colin Farrell on the romantic <laughs> Cuba getaway in Miami Vice. So they, like it's just it's, it's it's you know it creates this very mournful, ghostly atmosphere out of these very real surroundings. And yeah, it's incredible. And the last thing I wanted to give a shout out to was uh, the music because on the second watch I was really paying attention to the music and the bursts of the electronic canto pop uh, especially which is in a lot of his films but this one has this like very like Chinese folk music yeah, aspect to it as well. Yeah, it's like a mix well. of like ethereal synths with traditional Chinese folk songs. And sometimes a boy will be like singing a song, a folk song and it will actually like hard cut to like 
like the pop song rendition playing yeah, in the streets yeah. as they're walking through the streets and it's just it's it's really incredible work and there's even like a like a ringtone show off scene yes like, yeah. let me call you oh well let me call you let me show you what my ringtone is yeah. you know and uh, that's a very cool mid-2000s artifact you know you don't get that anymore everyone has their phones on silent or the stock iphone ones if they're a bozo who keeps it on loud nobody does funny ringtones that anymore. reminded me on when i was on the bus today like headed to work I heard someone who had like a hello moto ringtone and it was going <laughs> off so much. I was like, wow, I'm being transported to another place, another time. Uh, all right, you old man. This <laughs> You can't forget who you are, a Motorola Razor. You were living in a Ja Junka film for a moment there. The past, our history, it's being demolished. (laughs) Well, that is going to do it on Still Life, and uh, we don't have any emails this Uh, week. Fuck. Yeah. I don't know. Josh, do you have any questions for us? (laughs) True, yeah. Yeah, what's the deal with this giant bong in the room? Uh, Oh, busted, busted. Busted. Uh, that would be uh, um, well, inside baseball. Produ- no, that that would be associate producer David's doing. You know, it's weird because he didn't even show up for work tonight. He lives here and he didn't even show up tonight, but he left his you know oversized novelty smoking device in the living room. Yeah. It's... Well, tell him I love his Queen Amidala stand. Yeah. No, that is that is the uh, the the queen of the studio for yeah. sure. Uh, so before we divulge any uh, further into yeah, the because... audio tour of my apartment. <laughs> I got a question about some of these books. What, are you going to call me this out for... Uh... How, how to please a woman? What? You need a book on that? Look, that D.W. Griffith book over there is David's. It's not <laughs> mine. I like how the biggest book on that True. shelf is the D.W. Griffith book. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it says how how he was bad in the book. Exactly, right? so people people don't understand. Much like uh, yeah, I, don't, I was gonna. What you were gonna say? The Woody Allen no, box set's no, the biggest no. one on that shelf. I was gonna make like a Mind Kampf book. Uh, book oh, okay, because that's a like, very short book. Yeah, it doesn't quite make sense. It kind of was the opposite of what it. Because I doesn't doesn't Hitler say he's good in that? I don't know. Yeah, he doesn't really have much to say if you ask me. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that guy's that guy's. Let's not platform him, right? Yeah. He's just a windbag. <laughs> He's a real blowhard. Yeah. So me. we're done for a while, I guess. I don't know. We'll do a best of the year soon, and then we'll pick out some more movies to talk about. Yeah, we'll come back. This was, well, this was the end of <laughs> leg two of the reunion. True. Tour. Yeah. The the movies for leg three will be announced soon, but I think the next episode is probably going to be the best films of 2022, and it will happen. 
I will I will say late January is when that will yeah. be released. Uh, we want to prepare. We want to watch some of these. It's movies. really smart to date yourself when you're unsure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that's that's me being safe. Like, yeah. the, if I'm an odds maker, the over under is like January fifteenth, probably. But I, I think a, a smart better kind of takes the over on that. Probably <laughs> looking toward late January. I'm writing this down. We want to we right want to watch as many movies as we can. You know what I mean? Yeah. We don't want to be. People releasing these lists like December first. What the fuck? They didn't even see Avatar. They didn't see Avatar. I'm sure they didn't even see The Man from Otto or whatever. <laughs> the Man <laughs> from Otto. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't even see the Otto man. Um. So that will do it for this week. Thank you very much, Josh. Do you have anything you want to promote, plug, tell the people about before we wrap it up here? I want to promote the city of Los Angeles. Oh. Come and visit. While I'm here. You can stay on Eddie's couch while you're here. <laughs> that is not. <laughs> Look, associate producer David did not set up a hotel for Josh. Mm. And unfortunately, he's just on the couch for his guest spot. We'll but see. But that is that. a one-time thing. You can't, you can't be. <laughs> can't be like, hey, Eddie, uh, I know you said I could come on the podcast sometime. Does that also mean I could? No. Hmm. No. Okay. He says that, but we'll negotiate. Well, yeah, after. me and JT and Eddie will all vote on that, and we'll yeah, see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what comes of that. Well, I don't like when that happens. I don't like when there's a vote. I like when I'm the host of the show, and you he doesn't guys, like democracy. You know? <laughs> he likes when everyone just says he's the boss. There's exactly, real, exactly. It's there's very real. much like our daily bread, and we're <laughs> building the irrigation for the movie podcast right now. There's and, a city uh, lady about to be walking through the door. Oh, yes, yeah, so I think we got to get it. off the phone. <laughs> The power struggle never stops behind the scenes is one thing that people don't really know. I'm about to take my shirt off, and we're going to go get some pickaxes right now. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>